What's cooking, everybody? Welcome to season one of Zian Archive, my new podcast. It's your boy, Matt Zian. And in this season, we're going to be exploring psychedelics and creativity with musicians, visual artists, fellow podcasters, thinkers, philosophers, and beyond. I hope you dig it. We put a lot of work into this season. If you do enjoy the show, please consider leaving a comment, a review, a rating, and it would mean so much to me if you were to share these conversations with people who would benefit from hearing them. Thanks for being here. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Much love, and let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. podcast it's called third eye drops um really great podcast lots of awesome psychedelic researchers and participators and just kind of people that are thinkers of all sorts and styles and uh wanted to kind of get to know how you decided to make a podcast and make it about um what your podcast is about you know psychedelics spirituality philosophy um, entheogenic experiences and you know how did the story of third eye drops begin yeah so I, I would agree with with your assessment it really is a, a kind of multidisciplinary wonder crew of creatives scientists um, what else Ac- academics philosophers and for me I guess it was sort of the path of least resistance in terms of ways that I could verb my existential wriggles, you know, because at some point, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all have these burning questions. We all have the same sort of demons floating around in our minds and they take all kinds of different shapes. But I think at a certain point, you've got to find a way to verb them. You know, you've got to, you've got to find a way to turn them into something you can do. Otherwise, like there, there's not very many options. One option is to pretend they don't exist 
And that if you just keep going through the motions of your life, doing the things you're told to do, follow the well-defined path, that it will somehow magically go away. Mm-hmm. Or you go crazy. And I, and I think <laughs> for me, the idea of not expressing those clogged up wonder glands drove me fucking crazy, man. Like I remember years ago when I first started podcasting, I was working at a school as like a a special education aide and Mm -hmm. I had just started podcasting and I would go into the bathroom like at least hourly to, to check my social media or to post something or to, you know, see how the podcast was going. And it just became this obsession to the point where it's all I was thinking about and Mm -hmm. ways to interface with those ideas that were coming up on the podcast was all I was thinking about. And these were things that I sort of alluded to earlier, like I was already interested in, but I had no way to do them. I had no way to turn like transmute them into something from out there into in there. Mm-hmm. that I could then bounce back at other people. And as you know, that's the beginning of everything. That that starts the dominoes of meeting other people who think like you, um, you know, creating your own little creative community. And that's everything, man. W- once you start that process, it's just like gifts, gifts constantly. Yeah. Like, you know, how many things have you and I done together over the years now? How many events have we been to? Mm-hmm. All because... One day I was just like, shit, I have to figure out a way to do something with this desire or it's just Mm going to keep bubbling and gurgling inside of me until it becomes some sort of cancerous resentment about my life circumstances. And I think that that's a point that 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 everybody gets to and can take on infinite forms in particular. But in the meta, it's it's kind of the same, you know, Mm -hmm. it just takes different forms. So. I say it was the path of least resistance for me because I guess I should mention I was a musician as well. I played in bands and that was another big outlet for me creatively to, to mm-hmm. express some things, but in musical projects, especially bands with four or five people, sometimes it's not as direct of a path as you would like it to be to express some of those things. And there's competing visions and you're, you know, you're constantly mm-hmm. conditioning it and shaping it for what it needs to be to please the group. And that's great. And that's beautiful. And that's fine. But at a certain point, you, you know, you have to get those things out somehow. And for me, I've always been a bit of a, a bit of a rambler. And I was really digesting a lot of podcasts at this point in time. And it just kept making more and more sense. You know, I, I have microphones mm-hmm. for music stuff. I, I get how to record things. I'm just going to start doing it. Like, you know, it just, it just made some amount of sense. Um, Absolutely. And then other things were a a huge battle. You know, how do you get an audience? How do you get people to give a shit? How do you, you know, convince yourself that you have the authority to get behind a microphone and start saying things to to whoever will listen? Those are the other battles that are, that are part and parcel with, with that kind of a decision. Absolutely. No, I totally resonate, totally resonate with that. And um, I think that's why I began speaking as well. Um, And it's funny that you talk about the work thing, because for me, when music was my first and foremost uh, Mm -hmm. project where 
um, with my band Something Fiction, I just remember um, I used to push carts at HEB, which is a local grocery uh, grocery chain here. And um, I would just listen to my music, listen to my latest mix um, of a song I was working on or an album or an EP and be at work um, because they would allow you to listen to he- to one earbud in your in your <laughs> ear, not two because that's dangerous. But <laughs> you were able to listen to one while you were stocking or pushing carts or just like not really customer interfacing. And I would use that time as my creative time. So I would be listening to mixes and um it's kind of funny because I would literally listen to the same song for like two hours in a row, um, which it kind of could be a bad thing for your mix because you maybe overanalyze quite a lot um, now that I, in retrospect, I'm looking back. Um, but at the same time, it was the most exciting thing for me because back then when you're first creating songs, mm-hmm. like you're so impassioned with like your the fact that you made something and you're so excited with your progress. So... Um, I totally relate to the creative flow and uh, entrepreneurship spawning out of like a day job and mm-hmm. it kind of being a little bit of your piece in in like the 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 moments in between being able to check back in on your podcast and um, balancing that with the actual work that you're doing you know to get to get to get paid and to get to to get uh, by and to make ends meet and so on and so forth Um and uh, how I began as well, similarly with you feeling kind of bottled up and needing to express all these philosophies that are just appearing to you. Um, I, same thing here. You know, I'm a psychedelic uh, explorer. I always have been. Um, uh, even since a kid, I, I was very interested in the altered state space. And I didn't mm-hmm. know that it was an altered state space. I didn't know that psychedelics did what they do. But all I know is at age like, 13 i was already our alex gray was my favorite artist mm, interesting <laughs> yeah that's so weird because i didn't know where he was drawing from or painting from or creating from i just knew right. i loved that <laughs> and later to find out you know i can experience that so mm-hmm. um i would be having my first you know few psychedelic experiences and trying to tell people who have no reference point and i would just get a wall I would just get like, uh, maybe you should not do that. And maybe you should, that doesn't sound real. It sounds like you're living mm-hmm. in a fantasy, so on and so forth. So um, my first few podcasts were um, melding minds with people that understood where I was coming from. I needed to get it out. I needed to express the visions, the revelations, the spiritual epiphanies that were just like coming to me um, without even me putting much effort into it. And that's how my first few podcast projects started those are kind of all in the past at this point. And uh, I'm starting fresh, starting anew with this new podcast that I'm doing. Thank you for being one of the first guests. And it's cool to get to explore um, similar things that you, that you explore on your podcast, you know, with you. And um, yeah, so like what has been kind of the most interesting philosophies that have come out of your guests and the conversations that spawn in Third Eye Drops? Yeah, there are a few themes that definitely come up over and over again. But one of the things that that came to mind, I, I wanted to I wanted to ride on that you just said. It is this this notion that we sort of on a deeper level know before we know what it's called. Mm-hmm. What you were alluding to with you know being interested in altered states and 
kind of being mesmerized by Alex Gray's art. I think there's a part, I was going to say of everyone, but I'm, I'm really reassessing that idea lately. Um, mm -hmm. You know, famous philosopher Nietzsche in uh, probably his most famous work, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, explores this idea that the masses don't the masses don't really want to be I, I don't know what word to use like but, but I'll just for the sake of of ease and laziness say enlightened you know mm -hmm. like they they don't want to know the truth they don't want to interface with the harsh realities that come along with deeper exploration like there are many of like it's, especially if we're talking about psychedelics um, not an easy time. It's, it's not, it's not a, like as much as it gets painted, you know, literally by people like Alex Gray or figuratively by people who are interested in the space as, you know, something beautiful, something majestic, something mysterious and ultimately wonderful. Sometimes it is. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's horrible and mm -hmm. terrifying and confusing and, you know, I mean, there are some people who even have fucking schizophrenic breaks or different kinds of, you know, mental is issues mm -hmm. that spawn mm -hmm. off of it. As much of a, a you know, a, a psychedelic apologist as I am, and I, as someone who deeply believes in the efficacy of them for, for medicine, for personal exploration, for, uh, you know, spiritual context, all of these things, I, I believe that. But... The idea that they can't also introduce some some demons, some barriers, some some uh, delusions of of grandeur, you know that mm -hmm. that that's ignoring the the other end of the sword. You know, it's 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 a double edged sword, just like everything. And I think that in part is why this ends up being the domain of the few. You know, it ends mm -hmm. up being the domain of the really restless of the people who from a young age have known I, this isn't right. Like the, the, the stuff that I'm supposed to be doing the school I'm going to the jobs, people are asking me to get, mm -hmm. it just does not compute. It, it hits mm -hmm. my soul with a thud. It gives me a gross creeping feeling on the inside that is provoking the question of, is this really it? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And mm -hmm. when you have that kind of gnaw on your soul from an early age, I feel like what comes along with that kind of questioning is a sort of closer, th this, this predisposition to sort of look at reality with a little bit more of a microscope. And yeah. you start to realize that, you know, you start, I remember from a young age questioning you know, why, like, choose whatever, a, a table. Why is that like that? You know, just, just, <laughs> just, just having these weird thoughts that now in the context of everyday life, it's so easy to never question why things are the way they are. Well, that's just how they are. I don't know. Move on. But mm -hmm. I remember just having that kind of a mind of, of curiosity, probably to a fault, probably to a point where I wasted tons of time just wondering, like, why is this like this? Why do people do this? Why does this make people happy? Why are people part of this religion? Why are people, you know, just just always thinking this way. 
And then realizing, I think from a young age on some level, similarly to you, that everything was not nearly as solid as I thought it was. It wasn't like this unquestionable, concrete reality where everything mm -hmm. makes sense. I, I sensed holes. You know, I sensed that there were things that that people didn't understand and were just taken for granted. And I didn't have the language to express that at a young age, but I, I felt it deeper down. Yeah. And to, to try to bring it full circle back to your question about what some of the philosophies are that I that I am compelled to explore in third eye drops. I mean, that's that's definitely one of them. And, and I think that that also has a whole cascade of really important questions attached to it. You know, if, if reality is not nearly as well-defined as we think it is, what does that mean? What do we do with that? How do we make sense of it if we feel like it doesn't make sense? You know, that it, that's, that's probably one of the deepest ones. How do we make sense of this, our obligations, our lives, our goals, if the traditional answers don't satisfy us. How do we do that? Mm. Can we do that? And I think that that is, if I had to try to wrap it all up in one overarching motif, I think that would be it or close to it. Right. Right. No, I, I resonate with that, definitely. And uh, it's funny because, you know, the first few kind of awakenings you have, um, or uh, kundalini arousals or just like deep insights, whether they came from psychedelics or meditation or some type of altered state experience, um, I would always kind of get the glimpse that, you know, why were we not taught anything about this growing up? Um, and why do ancient cultures, you know, let's say like Amazonian tribes and communities that are more integrated with the past and stuff, they seem to inform people or the young people about you know, these planes of reality. Um, here in America, we don't. We, you know, if anything, we think if people are thinking on this level that something's off with them. Um, for me, again, with like the uh, infatuation with the art of Alex Gray and artists similar to him, it was speaking to something deep within me, deep into mm -hmm. my soul. And I didn't exactly know why or what, but it's funny because like, you know, I wasn't, I'm not much of a scholarly uh, academic type person. I'm much more of a creative than, um, than, you know, like someone who really took school super seriously, you know, just being honest, I didn't have the best grades in class. You know, I got by, of course, of, you don't want to get in trouble with your parents, <laughs> but right. um uh, most of the time in class, instead of listening to the teacher, I was drawing, I was trying to draw Alex Gray things. Like I remember this, it's funny cause when I look back um, from time to time, I'll look back at some of my old school stuff and, um, I'll just see the, the, the kind of like the third eye that Alex Gray, um, famously made popular with the band tool and, and a number of shirts and stuff. And I just have it all over all my work and all my notes and all my folders and binders and, it's almost like I was drawing the symbol and attracting, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, that future pull to that awakening to ha like having a third eye experience, not even knowing it was a third eye. I just thought it was a cool looking eye, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, like certain cultures throughout time have been very informative about 
the deeper planes of reality and some aren't. And, you know, I guess the kind of general consensus is that it's not productive and we want as America to make society as productive as possible to be a business person, to be someone who has this type of job that, you know, the government approves of instead of to be a philosopher or a thinker or spiritual healer or an artist. Um, where I think they should really. Oh, yeah. Um, and isn't in the it, future. Isn't it so funny that once you get there, once you get to a title like that, that everybody respects, you know, in that you're a professional mm -hmm. artist in the in the traditional sense, like you can sell your paintings for tens of thousands of dollars, let's say, or you're a philosopher mm -hmm. that has a, a book that's sold really well, then they love you. But if, yeah. it, but if you're at any of the in-between stages of grinding, man, that's what a thankless place. You know, yeah. you, you, you can you and you can just see it in social media. You can see it in any arena of, of public attention where if I share a meme or, or an eye catching image or something gobbled up, right? G just mm -hmm. goggled, gobbled five, ten times the engagement of if I share a podcast link or something sure sure but in those yep. but then but it's that's i think that's the illusion of, of sort of sort of social currency though because what would mean more to you you know ten, 10 people sitting down and like vibing super hard with this hour-long conversation you and i are having and and really getting to know what makes you tick mm -hmm. or getting a hundred likes on a meme you know it's 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 mm -hmm. funny because at the end of the day some people might think that that social currency is all that matters but i think you and i have a sense that there's there's something more and deeper that needs like a, a vacuum that cannot be filled by the former you know a vacuum that cannot yeah. be filled by that shallow type of transmission don't get me wrong man i love memes but we're, we're in this strange monolithic paradigm of mm -hmm. chasing whatever the currency is you know it's only as good as how many dollars it generated or it's only as good as how many likes it generated and and clearly in that sort sort of a scenario something's missing something's missing that um we don't know how to articulate or to compensate for and i think sometimes that can deter people from doing what they really need to do because they have to chase the approval of others, maybe. Yeah, right. The, the approval of others, definitely. And also how that legitimizes them. You know, mm -hmm. that's what I was looking for, a word to, to encompass that idea, that they feel like oh, 100%. they need to be legitimized before they're able to, to speak in this, in this deeper way or, or transmit content in a deeper way. And man, man, is that fucked up. But I kind of, yeah. I kind of, uh, I kind of interrupted you before so please continue no no absolutely no i love that thread actually and i was just having a conversation with a friend of mine about this how um people who want to do something like say they want to make a song or they want to make a book um they'll do like the most bite-sized version of that <laughs> put it out and because they don't have a fan base yet mm -hmm. no one really gobbles it up and then they feel like oh well i shouldn't do it because it's not a good idea you know and it's like the, make the book don't keep trial testing it to an audience you haven't amassed yet because you don't have a product yet. You know, mm -hmm. it's so backwards. Social media th makes things backwards because people see, you know, maybe their friends 
posting things, getting a lot of love, a lot of comments, whatever. They want to do the same thing. They want a, a podcast too. They want a book too. They want to be a musician as well. And so they'll do like, again, like a bite size, like I'll put it out. Oh man, it didn't really get nearly as much love as my friends. I must not be good. <laughs> right, dude. And so they don't want to do it anymore. And then instead they'll just fish on social media all day for things that work instead of follow their heart, right? And again, the way I think of content and podcasts and music is I really try and put myself back when I was young and first exploring this space. And I would have been so grateful to find uh, conversations in line with the, the way I was feeling, the first mm -hmm. psychedelic mm -hmm. experience I had, the first spiritual awakening I had. Um, I have to think about those future kids that yeah. might be in that need, who might need that album to carry them through a certain emotional place, who might mm -hmm. need that conversation and help them feel assured. You know, a meme can exist, but it doesn't really hit home. You know, it, it, it'll give you a laugh for like four seconds and then it's kind of gone to the wind. You know, a good podcast, a good album, you think back to it over and over and over and over. And mm -hmm. it's like this part of your consciousness at that point that you've learned something from and you can call back to in future conversations. And, you know, with memes, it just doesn't work that yeah. way. It's such it's such a like a very sporadic, funny, but now it's gone. Um, it's, it's like a it's like a, a joke instead of like a thoughtful experience. Yeah. 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 It's like I, I couldn't tell you where I saw the last meme that made me laugh. But if I listen to a podcast with somebody that touches my soul, uh, it's like I just had idea sex with that person. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like I just let some kind of very intimate transmission into my mind, into my literally into my head through my ears, down through my body, and then contextualizing all of that in who I am now. And that does not, you know, that doesn't happen with a with a shallow interaction like a meme. You know, again, mm -hmm. love memes, find them to be ex an extremely fascinating phenomenon, actually. But it's it's not it's not the same. And as long as we're thinking it's the same, I think we're really sabotaging ourselves and we're really depriving the world of great art potentially because it's it is a way to deter people from going deeper, from exploring what it is they really want to do, because it's easier to do the low hanging fruit pandering thing and yep. put that out there. And if I could tell people one thing, it's, this is funny because it's this is going to be like one part Gary V, one part Ram Dass or something, <laughs> but it would be don't fucking wait, do it right now. But the second part of it is don't do it with any expectation of an outcome. Yeah. Do it a hundred plan. I mean, you know, have a strategy by all means. But if you are focused on the end result outcome, you have corrupted the credibility, the authenticity yep. of what you've done. And not only that, you've set a trap for yourself in your mind. You, you, you've set this this sort of perpetually it's the same kind of logic behind an economy that never stops you know the infinite growth paradigm economy that we're that the united states is in this idea that every quarter earnings better fucking go up or people mm -hmm. are getting fired people are you know we're getting a new ceo whatever 
And clearly that has, that's directly linked to pollution running amok, uh, just a global illness that is focused on material rather than substance. And Mm -hmm. if your own creativity goes down that path, you're sabotaging yourself, your work, your mental health, all of those things. Instead, one of the, I mean, I, I try not to preach or pretend like I have any of the answers, but the only thing that has made any sense to me is to do the thing for the love of the experience of doing it, not for the outcome. Mm-hmm. Because if you can really put your soul behind whatever your particular emanation is, it's going to attract the people it needs to attract. I really believe that, man. I really believe that. It's worked for me. Dude, you reached out to me at a time in my life where I was probably working at that job and I had almost no social media followers and you just saying, hey, man, uh, really dig this podcast you did with Android Jones. Would love to distribute it. And man, I, in my mind, you know, I was stupidly doing the thing that I'm warning against right now where I thought to myself, that's it. I got this distribution now. Oh, shit. I'm going to, you know, whatever. <laughs> and and so so one, thank you, because it was it was very valuable and it and it helped me in my own mind. Come to some sort of realization that other people out there dig this. But mm-hmm. but B also I fell into the same trap I'm warning against. So that's the only that's the only reason I have for for saying what I'm saying, preaching what I'm preaching, because right. I've been there. And when you when you hit a spot like that, it's a perfect moment to take stock of, you know, just sticking to it, sticking to what you're doing, why you're doing it. And then all the other pieces will continuously fall into place. But my other point is that there's there's not you think there's going to be that one moment, but that one moment is kind of masquerading as something that you you can't anticipate. And Mm -hmm. it it could be a helpful thing, but it's probably not going to be the thing you think it is. So at some point, you got to fall in love with what you're doing. You've got to view it as a, a continuous journey, a continuous exploration with a disposition where this is fun. This is an adventure. I'm exploring. I want to look over here now. And then I want to look over there. And then I want to look over there. And with no expectation of a treasure chest ever popping out, you know, I I really think that's, that's the ticket, man. 100%. Yeah. It's been an honor to work with you. Love, love your content, love your voice, love your philosophies. It's, it's freaking, it's great. It's awesome. Super privileged to have it. Um, you know, on time wheel and to, to have this partnership and to just be friends with you. And, you know, I look forward to the future events, future conversations, everything to come. So yes, absolutely. And, um, on the other points, exactly. I agree. Everything is kind of, uh, the way me and my brother, um, think of this cause we both are building companies. Each move you make is one brick, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you just like put this brick and then you put this brick and then you put this brick and like, over, you know, five years of brick building, you've got a pretty big ass thing going on, right? <laughs> but there isn't going to be this like one big, like someone's going to give you a castle, right? <laughs> you know, so I think for people to put their first album out and to, to expect to get a record deal and get a million dollars for their next album and to get to quit their job and all this stuff, 
it's just not the way it works. I think it's a little bit of a fantasy and people paint that in the media industry to, to be the way it happens um, because it's very fascinating. It's, it's got a tail to it. It's got, you know, when you hear about this new rapper blowing up or mm-hmm. you can't give up if it doesn't happen, you have to build those bricks, solidify the foundation, you know, slowly but surely raise your home. And then there's that whole concept of a thousand true fans. I truly believe yeah. in that. And if it's not about 500,000, it's not about a million. If you just get a thousand true fans, people who back you, if you drop something, if you have a product, if you have an event, if you have a new release of any sort, and you have a thousand people showing up, that ideally is enough to further your Mm -hmm. career in that you don't have to kind of maybe work uh, outside of doing what it is that you want to do. And that's, I think, success. Success isn't, you know, like, um, like this thing you you get and once and for all you have it. You that's always right. have to keep going. You know, success is a, it's it's sustain it's a sustainable state of being. And um, once you get it, you kind of understand how it works. And what we're talking about is that it's that you just keep going. And and most importantly, people don't pay enough attention to this. I think is self-fulfillment. That's the real currency of life. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. like money's great. You can get paid for, you know, a podcast through sponsorship. You get paid for an album through people buying your album, um, so on and so forth. But you feeling good is the best thing that can happen to you. So if it takes making a podcast for you to feel excitement and to feel accomplished that day, or if it takes a new song, like sketching out a new part of a song, a new riff, that is what you should be doing, not just solely kind of, you know, focused on the monetary gains that that can bring. You know, fulfillment is the ultimate currency. That is it, man. That is it. And there are many philosophers who have said similar things in much more long-winded language, but I think that is the essence of it. Um, There's a professor I've been pretty obsessed with lately named John Vervacki, and I think I sent you his his awakening from the meaning crisis yes. series. And Super awesome. Yeah, he he's brilliant. And and essentially what he does is you know point out what so many of us have either intuitively felt or realized, or we've actually see, seen the statistics about how clearly there is this deep chasm of meaning in the world right now. You know, we we don't have a way to define ourselves many of us don't have a religion that we feel like we belong to have an ethos that we are living in the light of and when you don't have these things you're not living a very inspired life and his series is very long very in-depth i mean it's like taking a college class pretty much there's 30 40 something episodes of hour-long lectures in which he covers you know, a multitude of scientists and thinkers and psychologists from from ancient Greece to and and, and China. I mean, Lao Tzu and just so, so many, so many mm-hmm. different thinkers. But one of the things that it really boils down to, I highly encourage everybody to at least watch the first episode. But he discusses this idea of creating kind of a feedback loop in your life where you're finding where, where you have a mythological sort of underpinning in terms of you understand your context, what you are, 
who you are because you've defined it. You've literally defined it. And then you do actions to celebrate that thing in the spirit of that thing. And then each one of those is like a success. And you've now created a narrative journey because you've said who you are. You've said what you do to further this vision of who you are. And then everything you do now is like a success. Everything you do is in the spirit of this larger ethos. And when you can get in that kind of a feedback loop, you're, you're, it's like every time you do that thing, you're winning over and over again. You're, you're, re, you're deepening your relationship with that version of yourself you want to be. And um, th there's a lot of interesting pieces of, of nomenclature in there that, that are fun, but um, mm -hmm. I won't, I won't, I won't bore people with that, but that's the essence of it. I highly, highly recommend that episode one of awakening from the meaning crisis, at least um, if, if you're like me, you'll go on a binge. Right. Totally. Yeah. No, I think finding meaning in your life is, is the big hero's journey. You know, it's because um, follow your excitement. That's the biggest kind of like, but also what's funny is follow your fear. Because excitement is great. It's the reward. Mm -hmm. But a lot mm -hmm. of times we're afraid to do the things we need to do most. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. And, and then there's that whole term, the way out is through. So oh, yeah. not only will you get over the hump and see that it can be done, but you will get excitement that you did it. And it will create that feedback loop of mm -hmm. meaning for you. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I look at that phenomenon as a sort of obtuse emanation coming from the subconscious somewhere like there there is this you know when we were younger it was this sense this general sense of what's going on here you know like i i just mm -hmm. don't this doesn't quite feel right what everybody's preoccupied with just doesn't quite feel right and that's why i say this obtuse just i don't know what it is but it's something and then as you get older and you gain more context, that feeling starts to become an opportunity. And that opportunity is going to appear to you as something scary. Exactly what you're pointing out. This idea that, oh, that'd be really cool, but this, but that, but I can't, but it, right. that, you know, you just constantly that this putting up this own protective force field of 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 shielding yourself from failure right when ironically the deepest failure is never attempting you know yeah. i mean i think if if there's anybody out there who would rather not go down in a blaze of defiant glory trying i mean come on you like right. give me a like that's how you want to live is just like cowering in the corner, being a good right. little boy or girl going through the motions. Give me a fucking mm -hmm. break. Nobody wants to be that person, you know? Right. So, but we just have so much trouble implementing that in our own lives. You know, we have so much, I do, I'm guilty of it. I procrastinate and mm -hmm. I've no, same. deeply looked at where that procrastination is coming from. And, and this isn't true all the time. But some of the time, at least, I really believe that it is at that exact kind of protective mechanism that I just mentioned. This idea that there, there's some part of you deep down that's afraid, you know, afraid of the this shedding that would need to happen for you to really become that thing. 
Because right. I, I even think too that this the fear of failure is actually second to the fear of success. Because if you really became that thing, whoa, you'd have to go through some crazy shit. You'd have to go through the whole, <laughs> you know, archetypal hero's journey. You'd have to go to the abyss. You'd have to, you know, die and be symbolically resurrected. You know, you'd have to go through all of these things that again, we don't even know what they mean on a practical level until we're there, until mm -hmm. we're in that moment. Like right now we're in a meta one of those. We're in a meta crisis, a meta threshold guardian is what I would call it. Or, or kind of maybe for some people an abyss, you know, an actual moment of this is the worst moment of my life. I'm, I'm deeply sick or I'm have no money or my mm -hmm. loved one just died. But at a minimum, all of us are like at this threshold where we don't know what's going on. And one of the things that I've learned from making things and being something of a psychonaut is that sometimes, actually, I'm going to upgrade sometimes to pretty much always, you have to decide what these moments mean. And if you don't decide, they're never going to mean anything really impactful to you. And this mm -hmm. is like in the one of the, in the reason I say that I learned this from psychedelics is intention, right? You know, any, any time, especially you're doing anything guided, like with a shaman or, or any kind of facilitator intention, 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 they want to know, they want to know. And yeah. sometimes it seems like, Oh, I just want to do this. I just want to do that. And when you're early on, I think it's easy to sort of gloss over the intention part because you just want to have some kind of experience and you can mm -hmm. have a great experience that shakes you out of your your kind of beige hypnosis of everyday life and you get reinvigorated and wow, I really needed that. I really need to just come in touch with the mysterium tremendum and the mystery and all of these things. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when you really have an intention and that intention is met by the experience, holy fucking shit, is that an epiphany? That is yeah. the that is like the mystery school of old that's the death and the resurrection and this might sound weird and it, to some people but if you've had the experience you know what i'm talking about and mm -hmm. that's my invitation is that every time you come up against a barrier a hurdle something difficult in your life ascribe meaning to it like don't don't pretend that that you know i'm just making this i'm making up a, a reason that's not what i'm saying what I'm saying is decide a reason, decide what it means, and then that will bring more meaning into your life. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. No, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, that intention, you know, especially in psychedelic experiences, and I do think psychedelic experiences have the potential to give you a reborn state. I don't think that state lasts forever. But right. certainly you don't return to the same exact state because at least now you have a reference point. Since I was in that kind of uh, state to receive, um, I got such a powerful experience and it started me on this kind of um, breadcrumb trail to see what it is I could actually find through uh, respectful use of, of medicinal plants. And mm -hmm. I did with uh, psilocybin mushrooms. And um, I was able to see... Um, you know, through my intention of wanting to discover my deeper self and my higher self. Um, and I discovered that what I love is music, you know, more than anything and art. 
again, the psychedelic experience also shows you the movie of life, the, the fact that you are a director of your life. You have a say as to which way it goes. Now, you know, we can get into how much of a say because that's a really interesting mm -hmm, conversation. Mm -hmm. But you certainly have a say. And I was able to kind of um, psychedelically see myself as, you know, the main character of my play um, and that the world is the stage. And I know that that can lend to a host of uh, grandeur and all this and that. But at the same time, it could totally help you if you're able to do this humbly um, align yourself with your true mission mm -hmm. you know yeah how how is that resonate for you and, and your psychedelic experiences that kind of gave you like um, you know like more of an awakening or a mm -hmm. type of direction towards where you wanted to go mm -hmm. yeah I'm very drawn to this idea of Leela you know the divine play the mm -hmm. that, that there is just this massive universe-wide divine drama happening all the way down from the level of of single-celled organisms to larger consciousnesses that we have no you know awareness of or, or tools to measure and I, I think that that is like i said a very compelling very attractive idea to me you know i love like alan watts has some beautiful lectures and and riffs on the idea and also man I think your fascination with music is a is a beautiful one. And in many ways, I think there's nothing closer to the true state of things than music. You know, the, the fact that it's this journey, there's ups, there's downs, there's major keys, there's minor keys, there's, mm -hmm. you know, that that is what's going on biologically, emotionally, probably spiritually on so many levels that we we will never ever ever be able to scratch the surface of understanding or feeling and uh, you know i'm also very drawn to the idea that and again watts talks about this in one of my favorite talks slash videos ever um if you look up alan watts dream or dream of life mm -hmm. um he he speaks about this and actually beretta who is uh one third of the glitch mob has a um a side project called Superposition, where he worked with the Alan Watts Foundation and got permission to use that that oh, wow. dream talk to uh, make an ambient piece too. And I, I highly recommend everybody looks that up on Spotify or Amazing. or wherever. But um, is that different than the Be Here Now? It's, Didn't he do something he, with he Ram did, Das? Yeah, he did. He did one with Ram Das as well, okay. and it's the same. It's like the same project, just a different you know a different gotcha. track, basically. Very cool. No, I yeah, gotta hear yeah. that. That's awesome. But the the experiment is is basically or the, the thought experiment is basically, you know, if you were an infinitely powerful being that could imagine or dream anything into existence, you would start with the most ridiculous over the top fantasy, right? I'm immortal. I can do anything. I can win all the fights. I can get all the women. I will be the most wealthy, you know. Yep. But that would get boring. I mean, if anybody's ever played a video game on God mode, it's cool for about five minutes and you're like, this sucks. I want to go back to introducing some sort 100%. of challenge. 100%. So Alan Watts posits the same thing. He says, Pretty soon, you'd want to introduce 
some things you can't predict. And right. you'd want to think to yourself, whoa, that was a, you'd want to wake up the next morning and think to yourself, whoa, that was a close one. That was a fun, that was a fun dream. Now let's try this. Now let's try this. Now let's try this. Uh, so on and so forth into infinity until you have every possible life, every possible outcome. And yeah. at, at that moment, I remember the first time I heard that talk, I, I just had th this choked up hairs on my neck goosebumps feeling of, you know, that I don't want to say that it's higher truth or something, but it feels very much like you've just been hit with something truer than true. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and by that, I mean, I would never be able to prove that empirically. There's no measurements I could ever do that would be able to prove that. But just knowing that his logic is right, just knowing that this makes sense. In the same way, like simulation theory makes sense, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, you know, in that the thought experiment is, do we have simulations now? Yes. Will they continue to get more advanced? Yes. Will they ever hit a state where we can't distinguish whether they're real or not? Mm, likely. So mm -hmm. if that's likely, how do you know you're not in one now? That's the, you know, that's the simulation theory hypothesis in a nutshell. Yeah. And, and, and he makes a very compelling case using similar logic that, are you a thinker? Yes. Could there be an all-powerful thinker that is all of consciousness wrapped up into one? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, then how do you know you're not that thing? You know, it's the same kind of yeah. logic. Yeah. Yeah. So that that hit me so deeply, man. And I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And especially, you know, you can actually, for people like you and me who have been in, uh, you know, heavily altered states. I know you've done ayahuasca. I've done psilocybin. I've done um, DMT. Um, when time and space collapse, you actually get a glimpse of that. Uh, so I, I love that. And I love the Alan Watts um, um, talk. I don't know the name of it, but where he kind of talks about being in your deathbed and looking back mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and knowing if you tried, if you did try, if you did express yourself to your full uh, ability or, you know, at least a, you tried, you know, it doesn't even have to have been your full capability, but if you tried yeah. to go for that, yeah. at least you'll look back and not have regret. The worst thing is for you to sit there on your deathbed and know you didn't try and be full of regret. So, oh, no doubt, man. No <laughs> doubt. That's one of my biggest fears. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I write about that in the, the opening introduction of what will be my book, you know, this, this mm -hmm. idea that one of the primary lessons that or, or takeaways is that this idea that we and i kind of alluded to this earlier with this idea that i think we're secretly afraid of who we'd be if we succeeded because of what we'd have to go through to get there mm -hmm. but i think that to, to get to that spot you're talking about on your deathbed with a sort of like you know, maybe maybe you'll be writhing in pain, like, oh, but you'll have some sort of internal smirk mm -hmm. where you know, I did that shit. Right. I did that shit. And what that means is you experienced the highest highs because you experienced the lowest lows. And mm -hmm. There is no, there is none without the other. I really right. believe that. I, I mean, you, you brought up ayahuasca, and for me, every session was so brutal, and 
some of them had no payoff. But when I went through a brutal night one and a brutal night two with a glimpse of something transcendent and then a brutal night night three with full-blown transcendence at the end, mm-hmm. you, you never knew what that transcendence really was, even if you felt it before, because you didn't just directly feel rock bottom, you right. know? And, and if you can live your life like that, you know, not, I'm not saying fearlessly. I'm not saying with no doubt, because I think all of that is bullshit. I think fear and doubt are fundamental spices in, in the recipe of life. Mm-hmm. You use all of it. You, you swallow the fear. You swallow the doubt take the step anyway and then if you hit the rocks good good job man you just hit the fucking rocks that means now you get to go up you know Mm -hmm. it's in a way it's the best thing that can happen to you and i think that's what we all secretly crave man is not a life of just success but a life of really not knowing really not knowing what's around the next corner not knowing if going into that dark forest is going to put us right in the lion's den and and doing it anyway and then coming out of it and going, oh, you know, and and if you don't get that experience, I don't think you got the experience of life. I don't think you participated in the divine play, you know. Absolutely. That really reminds me of um, the philosophy explored in Fight Club, the movie, you know, yeah. hitting rock bottom, you know, losing everything so that you're free to do anything. I love that because. It's so true. It's so true. I feel like, um, you know, to, to go back a little bit um, to what we were talking about earlier about fast forwarding to being, you know, at the end of the game, at the, you know, like having the, the character with all the gear and all the loot and all the mm-hmm. gold. Mm-hmm. You don't really get to do anything else after that point. And yeah. in fact, a lot of, you know, you hear the stories of a lot of the richest people in the world being pretty miserable, which is because they're afraid to lose what they have, you know, Um so to fight club is super relevant there by not letting your possessions own you, you know? Um, but, mm-hmm. but also not trying to get to the end of the story too early because yeah, there's yeah. so much life ahead of us, you know, like it's easy for people to get wrapped up in your age and, Oh, well this guy accomplished this much by this age. So I, I'm behind now. Mm-hmm. And that's totally, I've, I've discovered that everyone has, their own path, their own timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no one way. Just because it happened for this way, uh, for this guy that way, doesn't mean that it needs to happen that way for everyone. I love looking at some of those uh, heroes that we have today that really didn't even get their kickstart until they were in their 40s or maybe mm-hmm. even 50s. Mm-hmm. You know, Wim Hof, for example, wonderful guy. I, I don't know him, but I'm a big fan. Yeah. Um, he, he had a very rough twenties and thirties, you know, very, uh, very challenging. And he didn't really get to be at the top of, you know, Mount Olympus the way he is now until he went through the hardest twenties and thirties of his life to be able to transmute that into the beautiful teaching that he brings the world today, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. For people who don't know that story, his his wife died. He had like two or three young kids when she died. He became this kind of pariah, black swan type of person in his own family where they thought he was just a weirdo and they didn't believe in anything that he was doing. And then everybody kind of looked at him as this sort of sideshow act. And then slowly over the years, he 
built up this reputation by mm -hmm. continuing down this path of self-exploration and self-mastery. And then he started opening himself up to scientific testing and he started setting world records. And suddenly, yeah, like you said, he's this phenomenon that's like increasing the health and wellness of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And that's mm -hmm. a great example because, what again, what a great example of someone no one believes in the, the whole way through until they get to like to some level of perceived success, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, it's and so he's funny. 61 and I think yeah. it's his birthday today. Oh, actually. man, that's amazing. What yeah, a great so birthday, birthday to have. Too. Oh, yeah. 420. Yeah. You know, it's my grandma's birthday, too. Oh, that's, man. That's really cool. Yeah. A couple cool birthdays today. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's incredible. And yeah, just to, you know, what we're learning is, you know, trust yourself, trust your path, go into those things that, that you fear, um, that, that, uh, that you want to do, but you're afraid to do step into them just mm -hmm. a little bit, mm -hmm. just a little bit. Like your brain is very, it, it's been hardwired to give you rewards when you do a thing that's hard. So that's right. That's you know, right. do that thing, see how good you feel, do it again, get better you know, it might take you five years. It might take you 20 years. It doesn't really matter if you're enjoying the ride and enjoying the ride and being fulfilled is the goal of life. Happiness is the goal of life, not money. Like you could have a million dollars in your bank account. If you feel like shit, that million dollars isn't worth anything. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't buy you happiness. So yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want to start down a whole new trail here, but just to expand upon this idea that your physiology can be programmed to, and it does neurologically and physiologically reward you for getting through difficulty. You know, there's this whole mm -hmm. notion of what's called hormesis. And it's when you give yourself an acute stress, like the cold or like sitting in a sauna, and yep. it feels like shit and it's really, really hard. And you start getting a flood of all of these neurochemicals that make you feel really bad. And, you know, cold shock proteins, heat shock proteins. Um, and then you stop and you get this tremendous flood of invigoration. I did it. And if anybody's ever done an ice bath or gone to a cryo chamber, they know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing is you can reprogram your body to actually begin to enjoy that stress and you're not even detracting from that benefit i mentioned it's not like the benefit goes away you still get the benefit and you can be in this state of almost just like beautiful exuberance while sitting in that ice bath as hard as to imagine as that is and mm -hmm. that is so i mean that's a clue right there that is a clue yeah. about how if you alter your mind you literally alter the neuro pathways around an experience like your mm -hmm. limbic system literally rewires like it goes from interpreting this as this is bad this is painful this is something i don't like to Ooh, i know what this is i know what this is the challenge yeah. this is the fun this is the game and you mm -hmm. can do that with anything in your life you can do that with anything in your life if you're willing if, if you're courageous enough to do it yeah and you even start to look forward to those challenges mm -hmm. isn't that funny mm -hmm. You know, like, because I'm a big sauna user. I, I love the sauna. In fact, one of the biggest uh, kind of uh, upsets I have about this uh, coronavirus and uh, quarantine is that I'm not able to go to my sauna um, anymore. And it's been quite a while. I'm really itching to get back. But what's mm -hmm. funny is the first time I got in there, 
I was thinking, of course, these people are crazy. Why would anyone do this? This is so hard. I might pass out. Am I going to die? Yeah. And then, you know, three times later of trying it, I'm hooked. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go again. Because when you step out, you feel so incredible. It's like a Zen state, a flow state. Um, I just remember, you know, like finally when I got the good, when I got the the first time I did it, I don't think I stayed in long enough for me to like start to break myself down so that I could kind of get that uh, big endorphin push when you get out. But um, when I did, um, finally, maybe the third time, um, and I stepped out after, you know, let's say 15 minutes, which in the sauna is a, is a while. At this point, I'm able to do 40 minutes an hour at, um, because I love it so much. But um, when I first started, it was so difficult. And I finally pressed past, you know, six, seven minutes and and got to 15 and then um, stepped out of the gym. The birds are chirping, the wind's blowing, the clouds are out. I'm just like, oh, wow, this yeah. is why people yeah. love this. It's when they get out, you know, and and then I've learned to even love being in after a few more times, a few more times I've done it. And then by now, I've probably done it 200, 500 times. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a it's amazing. And then the last thing I wanted to say about what we're talking about is Robert Anton Wilson's um, peptides. There are these this endorphin rush, this uh, dopamine uh, rush you get when you're doing something you love. Um, I think we talked about this on, on my podcast on, on your show a long time ago. Um, and I said, I can't uh, relate enough to Robert's experience of writing uh, to my experience of building Time Wheel, of building the label, of building the content that the first few nights that I created the website of Time Wheel, I was up till like four every night. And that's for me, super unusual because I'm, I'm an early bird. You know, I get up early, I go to bed early, but I was like such riding this like feeling of I'm doing something, I'm transmuting something, like I'm loving what I'm doing that time just fell away. And I, I would look at the clock and it'd be two o'clock a.m. And I'd be like, oh, wow, getting late. Well, let me just finish this. And then it look back four o'clock a.m. Whoa, like what happened you know like if you ever find yourself in those kind of flow states um you're probably doing something that you love you know what i mean so that's a uh, super super yeah. cool look up peptides if you're not familiar with peptides and you're trying to get into a creative project that um and, and you're afraid to take those steps just you know this is just some reassurance that mm -hmm. uh, you know people have been there before they've gotten through those uh entry level stages of anxiety mm -hmm. and fear and uh, just keep going, just keep going. That's right, man, that's right. And I love Robert Anton Wilson, and I'm actually not familiar with that talk, so I'm gonna have to dive, dive right into that after this. Hell yeah, enjoy it, man. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was super awesome. I feel like it was a bit different. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. It's like a background story. Yeah, yeah, that that's what it is, man. And it's also you you and me are both changing. You know, I think you're a very different person than you were the first time you were on third eye drops. I know I'm mm -hmm. a different person and I'm I'm starting to get a new set of concerns in terms of I want everything I talk about to be actionable. You know, the very beginning of this conversation, I said you gotta figure out how to verb those existential wriggles you have. Yeah. And that's what I really want to put out there. That That's the way I want to get people thinking because it's so easy to get caught up in reading books 
and well, this person said this, and this there's a great quote, and you know, like, great, awesome, but that better be a catalyst for you to go do some shit, you know yeah. that, and and that's that's what I want to try to get across, and that that's yep. really become a huge part of what I want to put out there. Well, dude, thank you so much for your time. It's absolute pleasure always is, and. I look forward to the future. Uh, where can people find what you're up to? Uh, thirdeyedrops.com is probably the best way. Uh, most of my socials are some variation of Third Eye Drops on uh, Insta. It's Third Eye Drops with underscores in between. Um, I think on Twitter, it's just at Third Eye Drops, Facebook uh, slash Third Eye Drops. And I do have a Patreon. I guess I'll mention the Patreon. Um, I do put out a lot of patron-only content podcasts other rewards and that's uh patreon.com forward slash the drops amazing